worship our Lord and King and just and we just study his word and allow the spirit of God to just wash over you and just refine us and change us and transform our mind. People say, oh, if I could just get this mind to just think differently, it can happen. I have a solution for you. Let the word of God transform your mind just like it says. Just read the word. Allow God to do a work and your mind will be transformed and it will become in alignment with God. It's just a beautiful and wonderful way. Hey, open up your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38, where we will continue where we left off last week. If you've been following along, you've been listening online, or what if you were here, either way, you can still, we're plugged right in here in chapter 38. So Genesis chapter 38, it's a bizarre chapter. And people many times when you're reading this say, why is this stuck right here in the middle of Genesis? But what you're going to find is even though you might think it's an interruption or an intrusion on the story that we started last chapter in chapter 37 about Joseph, this does play along in understanding and understanding and how it comes together in regards to what we I titled it today as the confirmation of God's choice. That God is in control of our lives. And God is in control of the things that we go. And we many times we just not get a grip of that. The fact that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-seeing. He's everywhere. And we, many times we forget that, and that's what causes problems in our lives. Amen? Because we should have that fear, that reverence of God to know that he sees all things. And he's orchestrating things in our lives and in situations around our lives and other people's lives that you're like, Ooh, what? Well, how did that happen? That can't be of God. But who, do you, who are you to say it's not of God? And this example is a perfect example that this is of God doing a work and you and I are looking back going, this cannot be of God. And it is. It's still he's going to use that to bring about his redemptive plan, to bring about the, the Savior. Amen? So you have to hold on to it. It's God's word. We believe it. The complete totality from book to book, or book to book, cover to cover, every verse, this is from God and we want to know it. Amen? So let's go. So here we see in verse 1 of chapter 38 of Genesis, it came to pass at the time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. So we see right up front here that you know the story so far that uh, Jacob and, and having, having his sons there and and in verse 37, and we saw that you would think they'd have this great brotherly love and a godly family, and the brothers are all in love with one another's brothers and helping one another. But we saw that clearly that's not the, that's not the point, or uh, that's not the truth. The fact is there was tremendous division among the brothers to the point where their hearts were so hardened, they chose to sell their younger brother Joseph to the Ishmaelites as they were journeying down to Egypt and was going to sell him. Now remember, if you know this, remember the story, they initially said, let's just put him in a pit, right? A dry cistern, let's put him down there and then let the animals get after him. He'll never get out, he'll just die. And guess what? We'll no longer have to hear the, from this dreamer again. 
We want to hear about the two dreams again of how God spoke to him and how all of us were going to bow down to him, the brother. Well, the older brother's not going to listen to bowing down to the brothers, a younger brother, right? Nothing new to the son. But when it's God's plan and it's God's purpose and God's ways, it doesn't matter what you and I feel. The fact is, this is truth. And so it's interesting. You remember in this culture, Reuben, the number one son, should have gotten the heir, right? Should have gotten the whole cooking caboodle from dad. But he messed up. He sinned and he, he laid down and he slept with dad's, one of his wives, one of the concubines, one of the, the, the ladies there. Bad deal. We find out later at the end of Genesis, uh, dad just completely does not give him a blessing. He takes the blessing away and he's, he's done for. Then you would think it'd go to Simeon, the second son. Well, remember, the second and third son, what happened to them? They were not happy. They were very upset the fact that their sister was raped or violated by a, 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 a dude up there in an area where they should not have been. They should not have been in Shechem, but they, they were. They took, Dad took them to a place where they were never to be, and that is never good because then it causes what? a problem and a, an issue with the family. So be very careful what you desire and you take your family to what you desire, what you've, your childhood dream that you want to go to. Watch out because it may not be of God's will. You're, it's just your own will and it causes a problem within your family. Sure did for Jacob, did it not? So what happened? Oh, they, they violated their sister, but then what happened is they come up with a scheme and they followed through this town. This this, the town there said, yes, we'll get all circumcised just so that we could intermarry and get all the money from your family. And then what happened? Those two brothers came in and wiped out the entire male population. That was against God's uh, will, God's plan. And we see at the end of the what? Genesis, dad takes the blessing away. There's no blessing coming to those two brothers. So Son number one, two, and three are out. Which leaves number fourth son, which is who? Judah. And here's the story today with Judah. And you think, okay, the fourth son has to come out right, right? He's got to be walking with God. He'll do God's will. This is going to be good. Someone in the family. Uh-uh. We're going to find out very quickly that Judah himself, as he's being raised by a father who is not walking solidly in the word of, by, the, by the ways of God, Allowing um, to things to come in of that is going against God, as we will see, he marries the Canaanite. And he watches all of these things. He's being raised up in a way that he goes against God's word, and it has a rippling effect. It starts with one thing, and it's just a spiral turning down. It gets worse and worse and worse. And sure enough, here we find in Genesis chapter 38, verse 1, that Judah has departed from his brothers, his family. And he's visiting a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah, while he's up there hanging out with this new buddy of his, in an area that was not where he was supposed to be, he says, Judas, in verse 2, saw their daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he married her and went into her. Well, guess what happens when you do that? First of all, you're not even supposed to be up there. You're not even supposed to be looking at a Canaanite woman because God said you were not to marry a Canaanite woman. You're not supposed to marry outside of the Israel uh, tribe, out of the, the nation of, the, of Israel. 
you are supposed to stay away from pagan, non-Jewish uh, believers, right? So here we find in the story that he's wandering the place where he's supposed to, not supposed to be. He sees this woman. He loves her, comes after this woman, this Kenite woman, Shua, and marries her and comes into her and says, guess what happens? Well, she was, she, so she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur, which means watchful. Hanging around there long enough, guess what happens? He now conceives again and bores a son, and his, he calls his name um, Onan, which means vigorous or strength. And she conceived yet again and bore a son and called his name Shelag, which he was at the Kezib when, he, when, she was, when she bore him. So here he is, he's up there, he sees this woman, he marries this woman, and they have three children. Bam, 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 bam. Now remember, the Canaanite culture, these neighbors that they were, God said to stay away. We saw in, the, in Genesis, God orchestrating and working through the family to stay away from the Canaanite women. Do not marry them. Go up to Uncle Laban to stay, go marry someone from our tribe there. But, but here we find it, this God pushing away and making sure this never happened. And here, Judah takes upon himself and goes against. You can tell he's not hearing from God. He's not listening to God. He's doing his own thing. And he goes against God's will. And that is he gets in, uh, tangled with his neighbors, the Canaanites. Now, the Canaanites, as we know historically, we see in the scriptures we've seen, it will rapidly incorporate within the family of Israel, which was not supposed to happen. And because of this combination of this corruption and simulation with the Canaanite people, we see all kinds of problems happening. It's just like today. If you, as a believer, marry a non-believer, you're causing some problems for yourself. This is not negotiable. You're to, to be equally yoked. You're to, a believer is to marry a believer. Not a, not a, a true walking believer. Not just in, in name only. Because you'll cause problems not only in your own life as you get married, but you'll have problems within the family unity as a whole. It always happens. So we hear what takes place, though. Here's Judah comes into play. Remember in chapter 37, who came up with a plan to, to sell Joseph to the slave traders? Or those traders, the Ishmaelites, by taking him as a slave and selling him down to Egypt. Who was the guy, who, the brother who decided that? Judah. Why is that? Was he sitting there going, <laughs> my oldest brother's gone, my second brother's gone, my third brother's not going to get the heir. I'm the fourth in line to get the heir. How could I allow Joseph, be dad's favorite, get the heir? Was he had a motive to make money off his brother and also get rid of him? But we see here Judah's heart is not right because now he's leaving the, the family. He's going uh, north and he's sitting there and intertwining with uh, the Canaanite uh, uh, community, which he was not supposed to. Now we see in verse 6 that Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So now his oldest son is old enough to get married, and in that culture, dad arranges the marriage for his son and for his daughter. In this case, his oldest son, Ur, is firstborn, and he finds another woman. And this one, this woman, woman is named Tamar, which is very interesting because Tamar 
is also a Canaanite woman. So here you are. Here's dad venturing off in a place where he's not supposed to. Marries a Canaanite woman he's not supposed to. What do you think he's going to do when it comes to raising his family and being an example to his own family? Is he going to sit there and say, oh, you son, you're not supposed to marry a Canaanite woman. We're going to take you back to the trot. No, he ends up finding a Canaanite woman. That's where he's dwelling. That's where he's at. He's got the influence on him now. Now his son is married to Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord, what? Killed him. Killed him. Now, nowhere in the scripture tells us what did he do in a wicked way. But you know and I know we can draw a conclusion in the scripture when God kills you because you're so wicked. You know it's not good. Now, sometimes people will say, well, that doesn't happen to you. How do you know that? It does. Because when God sees someone so wicked in a, in a society, he can bring and come about and take them out. We don't see it that way. We just see someone shot someone. We just saw someone got involved and then and that person took them out. Or, or the, 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 some kind of natural disaster came through. And, and you don't know how God is going to take someone out. If someone that God sees by his sovereignty that this person is not, cannot be around the community because it's a more harm to the people. But we trust God. God knows all people. He sees all things. He knows all things. And his ways are not our ways. Our ways are not his way. All we have to do is trust that God knows. And we are to live a life that is pleasing to him. And here we see Judah's first son was not pleasing to God. And God took him out. You'd think, okay, the second son would learn from this, right? Watch what happens in the second son here. Then Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and marry her and raise up an heir to your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would, be, would not be his. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he enmited or, or enmited onto the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. And the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. So we see here that according to the custom of that time, the Liverite marriage, which was then codified in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, a man who died before providing a son to his wife, it was his duty as a brother of his, the next one, brother in line, to then marry his widowed wife of his brother who died and impregnate her so she would have a son to carry on the oldest brother's lineage or genealogy or name. And so we see here that because God, God took her out, Onan was the next in line and dad said you need to go into to Tamar to give her a son so that this continues. 
But see, Onan sat there and said, well, that's not going to be my heir. I'm going to be having a son I'm going to have to provide for and raise them up. And he's going to get the heir of dad's fortune. And then I'm not going to get it as a second son. So as it came to pass, he had no problem sleeping with that woman. His, to fulfill his sexual desires, he sat there and slept with the woman. But the problem is, is he didn't do what God asked him to do according to the customs here. He would, went into his, uh, no problem going into his brother's wife. But as, when it came time to release, he ended into the ground. He, he pulled out, he released over under the ground so that that sperm would not impregnate the, um, penetrate the egg so that she didn't get pregnant. And he did that probably over and over and over. And God saw this and it displeased the Lord and therefore he killed him right there. Now, we see this, this uh, Leverite uh, marriage played out in the scriptures again in the book of Ruth, if you remember. In the book of Ruth, uh, Naomi says to Ruth, you really need to get married. You're, you know, that's, her son died. He left her, you know, Ruth a widow. And she, Ruth said, I'm not leaving your side. We're going back here. And they've come to find out Boaz is the next kinsman, the kinsman redeemer. She, he's going to be the one that's going to help Ruth and get married. Well, Naomi came up with a plan. Now, we always innocently listen and read that and go, oh, you know, mom is helping out the daughter like, you know, Ruth and helping her out and, and saying this is how you should do it, daughter-in-law. You know, we're going to work this all out. But really, it was a it was a kind of an pl interesting plan because Tamar, we're going to kind of play out the same way. But if you remember the story, she tells Ruth, get all dolled up, get all gussied up and smell good, look good. And you're going to go and you're going to watch Boaz's life. And when you see where he lays down at night, you're going to go over there and you're going to wake him up so he pays attention to you. And we'll see how this is all going to play out. So what do you do when you, a guy is sleeping and you're trying to wake him up? You just get him become cold. You just un, Like she did. She took the covers off his feet and laid down by his feet to wake him up. And when he woke up, he, whoa, who, what's going on here? Who are you? And it all played out according to God's will that he became the kinsman redeemer because he found out that he was the next to kin and she did not have a son. And he fulfilled that marriage covenant here. Just like we see here played out. But differently, but it still played out. Now also in this scripture, many Christians will say to me or have brought that up that this passage is as proof text against masturbation nor the form of birth control that you can do. Now let me tell you, this is not in the context of this scripture, that is not speaking of those two items. He was not doing that and those two items. The sin of masturbation is not the issue that God was judging or bringing the death of Onan to, 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 to about. It was the fact that he wasn't being obedient to what God said in this covenant, in this culture, that he was supposed to do. It's also, you cannot sit there and say, you can't use that as a uh, form of birth control within your family because God is going to judge you. Again, do not take this out of context and apply it to what you think. It's keep it in context. This is a, in this culture, 
At this time, the custom was to have this happen, and he was being disobedient and didn't follow through it. That was period. That's what this means. Now we see in verse 11, Then Judas said to Tamar, his brother-in-law, or daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, now we know what he's, Judah's thinking here, lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. So Judah's sizing things up here, and he's sitting going, wait a minute. My first son is gone. My second son is gone. I only have one son left. This is not good. This is not good at all. So I'm going to protect that son. And for some reason, this woman is attached to these two guys, or two, two sons who died. I'm not taking the risk. I want her, Tamar, you go back to your father's house and stay there until my youngest son, Shile, is old enough to get married. And then he's the one that's going to fulfill uh, the need for you to have a son. But we see in the scripture, Judah had no intention. He says, lest he also die like his brother. I not want this woman around this, my third son, anything to do with him. Get, him out, get her out of my house, send it back to his, the father's house. Even though as a father-in-law, he had the full rights and responsibility to marry or remarry or orchestrate the marriage for Tamar, because he really owned her now. It was part of his family. But he wanted her away from that third son and sent her back saying, I'll promise to give you the third son. But he had no intention. So notice this. This is not Tamar's fault. It was dad, Judah's the one who picked out Tamar. Tamar didn't force her way into the family. It's his responsibility. He picked out Tamar. Second of all, those two boys didn't die because of Tamar. Those two boys died because of their wickedness and disobedience. And those two boys, why they're wicked and disobedient is because they were not raised properly according to the ways of God. Nowhere were they disciplined in their life. Nowhere do we see that they were, had an example, an role model, or anything of a father, of a godly father. He should be fully responsible for what the action took, took place within that family. But we see that he's not going to take responsibility. But watch what happens towards the end. God is going to bring it full circle. He's going to bring it to light. Just like we will know with Joseph when he got sold, he's now in Egypt. 22 years later, the sin that those brothers committed is going to come to light 22 years later. Watch what takes place. Here we go. Verse 12. So we see here that now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted and went up to the sheep shears at Timnah, and he and his friend Hira, the uh, Dulamite. So we see here that time has passed, and now we find that his wife, Judah's wife, dies. Now, he goes into grieving. He goes into grief. He's, he's isolated himself. He's not doing anything. He's, 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 he's grieving through the loss of his wife. 
but he comes to a point where now he's comforted. He's finally coming out of his grief. He's comforted. And now he's coming out and he's going back to work. He's going back to where the sheep shears are, where the flock is in Timnah. And he looks up his old friend, Hira, if you remember from the very beginning of this chapter that causes him to go up into an area where he saw the Canaanite woman. Right? So here he is. He reunites with his friends. He's back to work. He says right there, and he, it was told that Tamar say, saying, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So he's back out, Tamar. He's out and about. He's, he's done grieving. He's comforted. He's going about his work today. Now is the time you need to know. You need to confront what's going on. So what happens? How does she confront this? Here she goes. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place which was on the way to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown, and she was not given to him as a wife. So why did she take off the widow's clothes? Was she done? No. In that custom, you wore the widow's clothes until when? Until you remarried. She was waiting for the third son to then remarry, and then she would change her clothes. She came up with a plan that says, wait a minute. The dad's out and about now. I see that the third son now is old enough to be able to come and marry me, and he is not bringing him to me. So she takes and devises a, a deceiving plot of saying, I'm going to make the, take the matters in my own hands, and I am going to take these widow clothes off. I'm going to then redress myself, and the redress wasn't just to look pretty, but to look like a harlot. Back in those days, a temple prostitute was, uh, was allowed. So here he is. He's, she had a plan, and God allowed this plan to take place, even though we don't understand it here. But Tamar did not want to face what would be her worst nightmare, and that is never to get married again and never had a son to be able to help her in that time. Because that culture, it was near-death sentence. If she wasn't remarried for protection and didn't have a son and, and a husband to help her to, because she couldn't go get, get a job. She just couldn't just go get a job. She just couldn't go out and ask the government to give her money to take care of her in those times. Didn't have those things. You relied upon someone in marriage or your children to help you through those that time of your age. But see, she went and she made the fact that she decided to do this. Tamar didn't have the option of just finding another man to marry. She was under the headship of the father-in-law, Judah. And he had to give her a husband or she was determined she was going to make this all work somehow. So when Judah saw her, she, he thought she was a harlot. Because she, she had covered her face. Then he turned to her by the way and said, please, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? And he said, I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? So here she is. He said, sure enough, there she is. Right by herself, right on the open road here, as he knew he was going to pass by, 
Here is a man who lost his wife, and here's a beautiful woman, and again, a harlot. And he starts thinking lust in his mind, obviously, to say, oh, I'm going to go sleep with her because I, I need to sleep with her. And goes over there, and not knowing that it was his daughter-in-law. She didn't obviously tell him <laughs> she's the daughter-in-law. But it's interesting he didn't have any money on to be able to pay her to be able to sleep with her. So he ends up saying, I promise you a goat, which was a lot of money. Of giving a goat was a lot of money at that time. He didn't have the goat. So she says, well, then give me something that's uh, personal that's on you right now as a pledge that you will bring me back the goat. What happens? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So he said, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her, went into her, and she conceived by him. His lust was so driven that he actually gave himself something of himself, his identity. The signet wasn't a signet ring. It was a signet on a cord around his neck. Here he is taking it off, handing it to her, saying, here's something of me. It's like handing over your, your social security card and say, this is my identity. This is what happens. So anytime there was a, a contract, they would use their signet to make a, an emblem onto that paper to show that that's his, that's the ownership. But not only his position of who he is, but also the staff, which means authority. So he's not only giving himself, but he's giving his power, his authority over to this woman he does not know. That's no Gouda. That should never happen. But he did it. And she took it. And then there'll be a price to pay. Because he negotiated a young goat. But she needed something of a guarantee for her survival. And that survival was to have something of Judah. But sure enough, it's going to come to light. This sin will come to light. There's no question. And says, so she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her wid widowhood. And Judah set the young sent the young goat by the hand of his friend to the Dulam of the Dulamite to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. So the man wasn't even man enough to go back and find her to get his own pledge. He finds his buddy. Uh, my buddy will do anything for me and sends his buddy who really didn't care what was going on. He goes back to go get the pledge for him. And what happened? Was he successful? No. We see, then he asked, his friend asked the men at the place saying, where's the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, there was no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also, the men of the place said there was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, let her take them for herself, lest we be ashamed for I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. So the whole scenario gets very interesting. Sends a friend off. You, do, you figure out how to solve this. Get my pledge back, and this will be done, and no one will know. Hello. No, it doesn't work that way. 
God sees all things, right? So he sends his friend. He can't get it. He comes back. He says, dude, I'm telling you, I couldn't find her. And I asked the man. I assure you, some man would probably know. There's no harlot here. He says, okay, let her have it. He does not. He chooses. I'm not going to go storm the castle up there and figure out where she's at because then we'll come to light what I did and I'll be ashamed. So let's just let her have it. Let it be gone. Let's drop it and let's move on from this. Not so easy. Not so easy, do they? So what happens? Look what happens next. And it came to pass. Ooh, those words are tough. It came to pass. About three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. No. He said, bring her out and let her be burned. That, that, that is, that, that, there was no grace there. Do you notice that? <laughs> but let me teach you something. When someone is in sin, and they hear someone else is in a like sin, they're the ones that are the most critical and judgmental upon that person they see in sin. And let me assure you, my brothers and sisters, you being judgmental upon another brother and sister because it was found out they're in sin, it's the same sin you're in, that doesn't make you feel any better. It will cause you to even feel even worse. And it will cause you to bring judgment upon yourself even more. Remember the grace of God and how God can change a person if they would just turn their lives to Christ. Amen? You have been forgiven much. I have been forgiven much. How can we not forgive others much? So what happened? When she, Tamar, was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. And she said, Please determine whose these are, the signet and the cord and staff. <laughs> the guarantee for Tamar. Judah, these are the things that I got from the guy who impregnated me, who slept with me. Whose are they? How does Judah respond? Well, he responds by saying, so Judah acknowledged them. He says, those three things are mine. And he said, she has been more righteous than I because, not because she deceived him, not because she played herself as a harlot, but he was convicted to the core of what drove her to that severity of doing what she did right there because I did not give her to Shele, my son, and he never knew her 
Judah found it easy to pass judgment on someone uh, of appearance of sin in their life. We see in the scripture that not only did Judah have a lack of integrity, but his hypocrisy was incredible. Most of the time, if not all the time, someone's integrity, you're also looking at a hypocrite as well. But Tamar acted shrewdly, yes. She was vindicating herself against the charges that she was a harlot just sleeping around. And she made this logical, this simple appeal of noting that who's this man who gave me these things? He is as guilty as I am. And then he responds, Jude responds, how about how she's more righteous than I am? Because Judah could see clearly through the real issue at hand. He was at fault for not providing Tamar a son through his last son, Shelah. So it plays on here at the end of the chapter. Now it came to pass. So time has passed again. And at the time of giving birth, which is another probably six months, right? In three months, this is all came to light. Another three months if she went full term. At the time of giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that the one put out his hand and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it on his hand saying, this one came out first. So here's another scenario that we see. Twins are in the family lineage somewhere, right? So here's another set of twins. And here comes a baby sticking the arm out through the womb. Whoa, this is not normal. Usually it's head first. Here comes an arm. Midwife puts a scarlet thread and says, this is the firstborn. This will have the inheritance, right? Firstborn issue. But as it progressives in progressing for the labor that child brings the hand back into the womb and the other child comes out first watch what does it say and it happened as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly and she said the midwife right i believe it's the midwife responding here or maybe it could be tomorrow but how did you break through? This breach be upon you. Therefore, his name was called Perez. And afterward, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. So Perez means breach. Zerah means scarlet. And we see these two boys within the womb not battling that we remember in previous uh, twin situation, Esau and Jacob, remember. But here's paralleling the birth of, of Jacob, or, you know, again, the parallel with Jacob and Esau. We see these two twins, one hand coming out and then coming back in, and the second twin, who should have then come second, came out first. Now, we see these two names, Perez and Zero, again in Matthew 1.3 and Luke 3.33, which lists Perez as the ancestor 
the second child, but the first one to be delivered completely, was put in the family line of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Despite the fact that neither Judah nor Tamar were examples of godliness, God still used them to be a vehicle to bring about the Messiah through the youngest child, Perez. It's just, again, confirmation of God's choice and his decisions that he makes. And it's a glorious example of grace, is it not? Sometimes we think we're the least, we're last, we're messed up. How could God ever do and, and use me in the life of the, for the kingdom of God? And I'm telling you today, my brothers and sisters, by the grace of God, he can use you for his purpose. 